Does anyone really believe that we're going to get closer to the cities that we want to have or what we think cities ought to be by knowing less about cities? I want to ask if knowledge is hegemonic, the ways in which communities contribute to the dialogue of science. Not to be involved in bringing the context to deal with that kind of a technology out there is a mistake. Most of us believe we still have lots of things to learn about cities. It can be a pathway to progressive planning or a regression to technocracy. How do we ensure that the public interest is served? Hello, and welcome back to the Plenty Ideas That Matter podcast, a series focused on illuminating new ideas and forward thinking in the broadening world of urban planning and science. In case you missed our first episode, we're going to be dissecting the words and ideas of faculty members who participated in the Planning Ideas That Matter debates with those presenters. And if you haven't heard our first episode, you might want to go back and give it a listen, as we'll be using that as something of a jumping off point for talking about some of the key ideas for the podcast, like big data and urban science. Yes, urban science. I was starting to doubt the idea of urban science is even a real thing after our last episode with Larry Suskind. Indeed. But in today's podcast with Janelle Knox-Hayes, we're going to accept its existence. I mean, it is a new major and course of study here at MIT after all. Yes, though Janelle wasn't entirely in disagreement with Larry. In fact, she seemed to really share a lot of his fears about the implications of putting the word science after urban, as Larry put it. For sure, the focus of her research really does seem to highlight the intangible, immeasurable dimensions of communities that Larry is so concerned with preserving. Uh, my research is predominantly about uh, climate change, both mitigation and adaptation, and so understanding how cultural factors and social values influence decision making. And so, for the sake of having a meaningful philosophical inquiry, we asked Janelle. Like we asked Larry, how do you conceive of urban planning? Yeah, so I think of urban planning as the study and practice of designing urban spaces, communities, networks. I know this idea of place has really changed in the last few years, so I sort of think of it as a broader study and practice of designing urban environments, including both the physical spaces as well as the social dynamics of place. The social dynamics of place, huh? After talking with Larry, that kind of sounds like one of those immeasurables that data can't quite touch. Yeah, and that's just the beginning. What do you see as the objectives for urban planning as a field? for urban planners? Yeah, I think that urban planners want to design uh, communities, both the built environment of communities, but as well as the social interactions and environments within communities. And so the objectives are to design them in ways that are socially inclusive, that allow a wide range of of different types of people um, to take advantage of the the best aspects and uh, services that exist within a community but also in ways that are responsive to the built-in environment and the context in which the, the community is situated. So that includes everything from thinking about the, the built landscape, what type of residential structures and commercial structures are situated for that landscape, thinking about providing shelter and adequate food and nutrition to the community, uh, what's the relationship of the community with the, the, the foodscape in which that community is situated, uh, and also thinking about the social services, what kinds of jobs and economy is available to that community, how can they best make use of their natural resources, um, and then you know, look at the landscape, how is it situated to facilitate 
the movement of goods, services, and even ideas within the community. So where does urban science fit in with all of that? Well, this is where that old friend of ours comes in. In the last 20 years, maybe even in the last 10 years, there's been an explosion in the amount of data um, that we as individuals and as communities produce. And it's data that's both, I mean, in some ways it's useful and it's sort of a byproduct of the way in which telecommunications and other technologies have evolved. Every day, 2.5 exabytes of data are produced. That's 530 trillion songs worth of data, 150 billion iPhones worth of data, 5 million laptops, 250,000 libraries of Congress, 90 years of HD video in a single day. So I think what urban planners are trying to do with urban science is to come to terms with that explosion of data and its integration into the very function of every aspect of our uh, economy, every aspect of our communities. The data is you know, how we interact with each other socially. It's in the fabric of how our bank accounts and economic transactions work. It's in the fabric of how we plan and do logistics for food production or waste management. And so I think what urban planners are trying to do is realize that the scale of data is real, it's growing, and it can either overwhelm us or we can try to make use of that data. And so I think that's what urban science is really about, is trying to make intelligent choices with the data that exists. So you can transform energy systems so that they're using real-time um, consumer use to understand where the, the pressure points in an energy grid. Or you can use um, storm data to understand where are the greatest sources of uh, vulnerability within a community when a major storm impact is happening. And I think those are the ways in which urban science as a use of data science could be really useful. So big data, the massive amounts of data points we create pretty much every time we touch our phones and computers can be a tool. I mean, of course it's a tool, but can it really be useful without being harmful in urban planning? Well, that's kind of where there's a question mark. So this data revolution has occurred over the last 20 years. And, you know, we sort of think of it as though there was agency. And I think what happened is, you know, the technologies developed and suddenly the Internet and data was in everything we did. What I wanted to push back against was the sort of absence of reflectiveness in that production of data and the use of data. An iPhone is a terrific example at the personal level of our relationship with data. So this device collects, for me, maybe 20,000 photos I can hold on this device. And that means that I am constantly moving around the world collecting data. But it's a Faustian bargain. I can collect unlimited data, and I have to update this device every year because pretty soon the hard drive is going to be too small. But I can never actually appreciate or enjoy the moment in which the data exists. How many things have I never actually seen? How many conversations have I missed because I have this device in my hand? We're trying to confront the reality of what is this data and how do we make sense of it without the real capacity to plan or even to, you know, to sort of project the long-term consequences of data production and use. So we're pretty much trapped in this world, forever collecting and creating data. Right. And urban science is a response to this phenomenon. Right. So all this data has become this massively powerful tool. And it's up to us to recognize this power and what it can do before we integrate it into everything we do, like we didn't do with the internet 
and our iPhone. Exactly. So I think what planners in trying to create an urban science have to do is rethink what does it mean for planning, for planning education, for planners to be meaningful. Meaningful beyond just the data points. Meaningful in the same way that our immeasurable intangibles are. The scale and rate at which culture exists or culture comes into being as a sort of intersubjective creation between individuals, it's a long-term phenomenon. And that doesn't mean that culture can't change rapidly, but I think culture is a way in which individuals and communities socially embed themselves and give the community longevity, give their ideas and their knowledge uh, scope and context over time, but it's also how they embed themselves in their natural environments. So there's a sort of social knowledge that exists within culture. And if you think about data science, and some to some extent it's sort of the antithesis of that. It's about these abstract, almost timeless pieces of information at a vast scale that aren't embedded in any context necessarily. And so it's trying to make decisions rather than understanding sort of place and people and the way in which people form relationships in places to understanding the abstractions of multiple data points. And so I think the utility of that is you get a much greater scale of information. And to the extent to which social science tries to be a natural science, it's about the statistical method and having um, testable observations to make conclusions. And so, you know, there's this sort of idea that the more observations you have, the greater the, or the more certain the conclusions. But the problem with data science is you sort of get to this scale where you're no longer, oh, okay, I'm moving from 30 observations to 1,000 observations, therefore, my conclusions are more certain to I'm moving from a thousand observations to a billion, a hundred billion, a trillion observations. And so I think it's sort of an overkill of the necessity of, of scientific certainty. And it's getting into a realm where you're trying to make decisions on information that exists at such a vast scale that it's no longer grounded. Like there's so much data that it's almost absurd. Well, I think the point is that we can't really know how useful all this information can be to us. And we definitely don't know how powerful it is. It sounds like this great big new power tool prototype, like a new design for a nail gun. And on the one hand, we're really excited about how fast we'll be able to build houses now with it. But we're also not totally sure if it's actually safe to use yet. Like it might blow up or have really strong kickback or something. Sure. And the really interesting question is how we move forward with this new nail gun, whether and how we incorporate it into our teaching and education. Sort of like our children. You know, I have two, two infant children, and we don't let them have a television. And we won't let them, with the exclusion of every morning they wake up and want mommy's phone first thing. <laughs> it's fascinating. We don't want them to have the technology because we want their brains to develop the same way they've developed for thousands, millions of years. Like we want them to have building blocks and like physical, not, not metaphorical building blocks, but physical building blocks that they play with in colors and shapes and sort of tactile material that's at a human pace. And so on the one hand, we're sort of, it's, it's, it's almost a social experiment. Like are we disadvantaging our children because we don't give them access to rapid high-paced technology where their peers in three years are going to know how to download new apps and play games and do whatever else on the cell phone. Or it's a question of are we allowing their brains to develop in an appropriate way, in a way in which a sort of way that's not 
symbiotic with technology so that they could live in a world without technology. And I think to some extent that's what departments of urban studies and planning have to do is decide do their children have full access to the technology and will they sort of just dedicate their little human, developing human brains into evolving sympathetically or symbiotically with the technology such that they may have better control of it, but they can never divorce their brain from the technology? Or do they want to sort of maybe introduce little bits of it here and there and maintain the core of what it was to be a human? A big thank you to Janelle for speaking with us, and we'd like to thank the Department of Urban Studies and Planning, the debate participants, and organizers. And thank you all for listening.